0: Welcome to Planet Watch, Big Solutions to Earth-Sized Problems. I'm Rachel Ann Goodman.
1: And I'm Joe Jordan.
0: Today on the program, the future of American democracy and how that relates to saving the planet. Author and professor and of environmental studies at Oberlin, David Orr, gives us a wake-up call and a call to action. Plus news, sky talk, and other important information, plus a report from a recent protest in Santa Cruz. We'll be speaking with our local congressman about what happened there.
1: We have a new podcast. You can subscribe at planetwatchradio.com. That's planetwatchradio.com. And if you want to get in touch with us or ask our guests a question during the show or in between shows, you can write to us on email at RadioPlanetWatch at gmail.com. That's RadioPlanetWatch at gmail.com. But first, a short look at some top stories in science and environment this week.
2: I'm here with uh, Jimmy Panetta, uh, California's 20th congressional representative. And um, I was just wondering what brings you here to the Save Our Shores rally and why you care so much about our coast. Yeah, well look, I mean growing up on the Central Coast, you
3: look out onto the bay, it's not just uh, uh, what we have, it's who we are. And that's very important. And I think we're so lucky to have people that came before us that understood that, understood how important it would be to their children, to their grandchildren, to our children, to protect what we have, that treasure chest of jewels out there called the Monterey Bay. Uh, and so we are so lucky that we have the largest marine sanctuary uh, right here in our front yard, largest marine sanctuary in the continental United States. and. But we also got to realize that we can't take that for granted, that even though we've made our mark with our sanctuary, we have to watch out for the people with the erasers. And right now we're dealing with people with the erasers with this administration. And so it's up to us, it's up for everybody that you saw out there today, up for everybody on the Central Coast to get out here to make their voices heard, uh, that they're not going to erase the mark that our our leaders have made to protect uh, not just our environment, but our future. And so that's why here and I'm I'm damn glad to be here because I'd rather be here than Washington DC let me tell you.
2: (laughs) And what's something that us regular people can do to help? Stop those people it's who are an, trying to the Excellent that progress. question. Look,
3: I think right now you've seen in the last month, you saw a proposal by the administration to open up the outer continental shelf, 90% of it, to offshore oil drilling leases. What you can do is go online to www.regulations.gov, www.regulations.gov, and speak in that public comment uh, section that they have there. Let them know how important our environment is to this community, uh, this economy, and our future. Uh, and that's that's really important but beyond that continue to show up and let me tell you continue to vote vote in 2018 vote in 2020 that's how we'll definitely be able to protect our
2: shores
0: and thanks so much to Tommy Martin who was down at the rally slash protest he's here with us Uh, tell us a couple things about it
2: yeah it was great to talk with Congressman Panetta and hear him speak yesterday at the March and all of the elected officials that spoke there it was great that they came out to such an important event, and I also thank Save Our Shores for hosting that event. It was excellent.
0: Thank you for going, in and good work on getting that tape. And, you know, most people said stronger things than he said about, uh, oh, you know, over my dead body, are they going to drill in our oceans? We fought this fight before and won, and uh, I assume and hope we'll do it again, and that the judicial system will be partly there to save us. And that, that really... Uh, leads into our next guest which we'll introduce in just a minute we have one more news story for you um, from maya Rodriguez, uh, but i do want to let you know that most of the show is going to be spent talking about what we can do with david Orr, so stay tuned for that interview
1: by the way uh, what tommy mentioned in that story uh well jimmy panetta said go to the website regulations.gov it is plural regulations.gov i went there this morning and I registered my comments among the 40,000 or so that have been posted from citizens of this state and coast on that particular. There are other issues also represented at that site. Let's but
0: flood them like an oil spill uh, with comments. <laughs> yeah, right. Like Russian
2: bots. <laughs> yes,
0: exactly. <laughs> Except these are real. All right. So let's, uh, let's go to Maya with a news story that she found about geoengineering. New research published in Nature Geoscience has found that regional climate engineering in North America, Europe, and Asia could reduce extreme temperatures in those areas by up to 2 to 3 degrees Celsius or up to more than 5 degrees Fahrenheit. This would include lightening the color of roads and buildings to reflect sunlight rather than absorb it, and altering crops and increasing no-till agricultural practices. These modifications were specifically designed for application to highly populated areas and agricultural areas. The research suggests that applying these methods by region is far more effective and less risky than large-scale geoengineering. According to the report, this method has been tested and proven to be successful. However, the researchers state that this method would only be part of a possible solution to climate change, as it would have no effect on other issues such as ocean acidification. Fantastic. Well, we'll be covering more about geoengineering in future Planet Watches. But meanwhile, I'm very excited to introduce our guest for this week. It's a real honor and a pleasure to have him joining us on the program and a a real wonderful thing that Joe managed to get him as our guest. And uh, he is not only an author of several books, but he is also uh, an environmental studies professor at Oberlin, professor emeritus, and also has studied in great detail political science. These two things overlap uh, so often, these, these two ...areas of our world, and so we're very happy to have David Orr, who is engaged in a project to revitalize American democracy. He has a series of forums that he is hosting around the country. He'll talk about that in a moment, Um, but I'd like to welcome him to the radio program. Hi, David. I have to ask you, sitting as we are on this Sunday, after these memos, the, the memo was released from Devin Nunes... HOW IS OUR AMERICAN DEMOCRACY DOING, ACCORDING TO YOUR
1: SIGHTS?
4: <laughs> WELL, I THINK WE'RE IN SOME TROUBLE. Uh, forget about I the small
1: talk. Well, <laughs> We're going to launch right in.
4: into it here. Yeah.
1: <laughs> <laughs> oh, by the way, actually, a little bit of small talk. Dan Fernandez, professor at CSUMB, who we had on this show last summer talking about fog, he says to say hi to you. He hosted you at one of his big all-day environmental summits down at uh, Cal State University, Monterey Bay. No
0: <laughs> more small talk. We're okay. getting down okay. to the brass tacks, and we <laughs> want to know, are we in a constitutional crisis in this country? And if so, are people awake enough to know that?
4: Well, uh, it's interesting because Donald Trump, the, the election of 2016 was not so much an anomaly; it's a bit of an outlier. But he is, in some ways, a symptom of what had been building for uh, many years. And there, there's a good bit of uh, there are lots of roots and reasons why he he uh, is in the White House. He didn't win the election, the popular vote, but he's he's there. And you ask, "Is this a crisis? Yes, and it could very well get worse. Many people expect that he'll uh try to fire Rod Rosenstein and eventually uh curtail the investigation into the Russian connection and so forth and so yes, I think we're we're in a constitutional crisis. but I think the more important part is if you compare our current situation, let's say to a house there's a there was a lot of deferred maintenance on American democracy. The roof was leaking, the floors were sagging, the windows were knocked out, and we let a lot of things go for a long time. It was time to begin to rethink the way we conduct the public business and the constitutional basis for uh, our public life. And the environment, uh, I think, has been a casualty. Certainly, uh, climate change policy and energy policy has been a casualty of uh, lots of political problems that we allowed to accumulate.
1: I have to uh, throw in here that I keep hearing this phrase constitutional crisis mentioned, you know, on MSNBC or all over the place. And I guess it's something serious, but, you know, it it sounds kind of like a yawner to me. It's a real yawner of a phrase. I mean, I, I think what we're really talking about is, you know, potentially blood and bullets in the streets, uh, I mean, really, what like a downfall That's of the a democracy. <laughs> well, Flurish, down-
0: you just threw out there that sounds very incendiary. Like, I don't well, think that NPR is particularly incendiary, but uh, last well, constitutional
1: week, crisis just sounds a little too. Uh,
0: well, let's sleepy. go back to what they said. Okay, <laughs> yeah. so one of the commentators on On Point, which isn't known to be com- incredibly alarmist, said, "We are headed toward an authoritarian state if." This continues to unfold the way it is. If the president is at war with his own Justice Department, there are no more checks and balances on the presidency if he replaces all those people with people willing to do whatever he says. What do you think about that statement? I'm sorry I can't attribute it, but it was on the roundtable on Friday on On Point, um, which is from
4: WBUR. I I think it makes a good bit of sense. I think what's happened, what we've discovered is that the— the barriers around the guardrails, as they call them around the presidency don't work anymore. And a good many of those were simply dependent on the president's good judgment and sense of history and propriety and honesty and so forth. And what uh, the current president has done is to show that those were not very effective. And in the meantime, uh, he's, he's taken enormous power, uh, Uh, he's taken the power of the presidency very much for uh, private gain and for uh, personal psychological reasons. Uh, There's a fair amount of opinion that he's not uh, uh, totally sane or, or he certainly has an unusual level of narcissism. But Uh, I think that adds up in Joe's point about blood in the streets. I don't know that I'm I'm not going to go that far, but I think that this is a constitutional crisis about the limits of the power of the presidency. And the country was attacked. The the reason for the investigation by Robert Mueller is that we were attacked uh, by the Russians, and they compromised a good bit of our electoral system. Imagine if this were Pearl Harbor in 1941, and there were people saying, well, gee, we don't know that those were Japanese planes, and Mm -hmm. Maybe it's all a mistake, and maybe uh, we needed to have those boats sunk because they were old ships anyway.
0: But that was so visible, and so, you know, lives were gone. And this happened invisibly in, in voting you know, machines across the country. And because it was a bloodless coup, if you would— um, A lot of people could discredit it as a bunch of paranoid thinking. And this entire cycle of the news in the past two weeks has been about discrediting the investigation, which at the beginning, if you heard the way um, the Republicans were talking about Mueller's investigation, it was he was a fair-minded, honest, you know, has great record as far as being extremely uh, meticulous as a prosecutor. And that is not what we're hearing now. We're hearing that, you know, he's that everyone around this investigation is somehow suddenly biased, which is a great storyline if you plan on firing him or firing Rob Rosenstein. So I'm well, worried about the rhetorical war about the truth that's happening. Suddenly people who were honest one day and people who were appointed by the very president are now his enemies simply because they're the messengers of news. He doesn't want to get out.
4: And so Rachel, we, yeah. I think that's right, and I think there's a good bit of repair work in the Republican Party that, that needs to be done. Uh, the party uh, was once the party of law and order and defended the FBI, and that has changed dramatically. They've now rallied around the president, and you don't have to be a Republican or Democrat to, to see this. This is not a partisan issue, but the party has simply caved in to possibly the worst president we've ever had, and— this is not. This is leading, I think, in Joe's direction toward this thing called a constitutional crisis. But put by any uh, by any description, by any name, uh, this is serious stuff, and it involves the power of the presidency and the invasion of U.S. Uh, sacred space in our uh, elections. And that is a presidential attack, and it has it has the potential once once that penetration occurs. In, in the cyber era, era, the direct attack over borders with bombs is uh, not the way of war anymore, or it's the really only way of war anymore. Well, you and know, cyber- David... You- go ahead. Stevie, go ahead.
1: Well, so I'm thinking of, you know, getting science back into this picture, science and technology and nature and the best and brightest, you know? <laughs> what can... America's always been known for, you know, having many of the best and brightest, and I, I keep thinking all these... Young computer geeks ought to be out there, you know, hacking back or something, you know, protecting us against hacking. Uh, I'm kind of wondering about, I mean, there could be a whole science program just on. Voting and, uh, you know, the, the hazards of electronic voting machines where there's no paper trail and all this other kind of stuff. And, you know, the big huge data thing that Chris Kobach out of Kansas did with the interstate cross-check, which was an inside job that also hacked our election and threw millions of good, legitimate voters off the rolls, especially in those key four states that swung that last election. But you know, your government get, has getting to
0: agree the... that you have that problem. And well, right so how, now... do we get,
1: how do we get at this, get the best people working on it big time and get the word out even that it's a problem. And by the way, I'm hoping you will mention your org <laughs> website, which I've checked and I'm looking for it. You told us on the phone the other day that you have some national events coming up following up on a big conference you had at Oberlin. I
0: want to go back to the voting yeah. thing, because we, we, we started out talking about a constitutional crisis, and we jumped very quickly into the micro issue of the voting hacking, which is important, but if you don't have a government that recognizes that you've been hacked because it doesn't want to, because it's delegitimizing the president himself's election... So this whole thing stems from his inability to believe that perhaps he didn't get elected straight up. Um, there's more going on <laughs> than simply the voting problem. It's maybe bigger than that. So, uh, David, you were I want to back up just a little, and I want to get to what Joe asked. But I also want to ask you, you said you, there might be something bigger being hidden here than even colluding with the Russians over oil, which brings us back to Planet Watch topic. What do you think that is? I mean, you might not be able to guess, well, I, you said I that to us in conversation recently.
4: You know, the, when Joe mentioned Pearl, I mentioned Pearl Harbor. Yes, that was a very visible thing, and that was the way that, that countries uh, attacked each other and up until very recently. But cyber war is a very different thing, and it's, it's clear to all the 17 U.S. security agencies or intelligence agencies that the United States election was hacked. And it converted a lot of different votes. And by most accounts, 125 to 150 million Americans were exposed to various kind of uh, propaganda through bots and so forth and through Facebook and Twitter. And, and uh, so we were, we were attacked. And the integrity of elections is what the democracy is all about. The cover-up that is, I think, underway, and I, I don't think there's any other way to describe it. Now the Republican Party is with the president and trying to undermine the investigation of uh, what happened. So we, we don't know. And it's a war on truth. The whole idea of fake news and so forth is a war on uh, the public's right to know what happened in the conduct of the public business. And how do we respond to it? Well, we can't respond until uh, there are both parties involved in trying to respond. We had both parties uh, after Pearl Harbor and, and, in other security, uh, events in the country both parties did respond and now one party has uh, decided apparently not to respond at all and to issue that you mentioned you started program by asking about the Nunes memo uh huge dud and by all accounts everything that uh, you can reliably read about it uh it's simply not true
0: But you have a Uh, whole channel that's on 24-7 pretty much um, flogging the idea that it is. And so this is where fake news comes in and our need for independent media. You have basically people on different parties uh, intaking information that uh, accords with their worldview. Because this is very difficult to accept if your worldview is, you know, that everything's going really great. Look at the stock market. You know, look at the jobs report. Therefore, this other stuff can't also be true. And that's what is worrisome about this story is that there's segments of the society who are in a misinformation bubble and well, won't talk to the other side.
4: I, th- I think that's right. And some people have made a very, very good living over lots of years now uh, making other people very angry and, and uh, by providing biased information and hyping anger. I think that that's part of the deterioration of American uh, democratic institutions what we're trying to do here and you, you asked about the what we're trying to start is something of a national dialogue that has two major parts to it one is simply to say that we need to know how we got to 2016 we need to understand our history and then secondly uh, when this is over we will need to reconstruct a good bit of uh, the public estate federal agencies EPA certainly Treasury probably State Department certainly uh, the American capacity to uh, have a public dialogue that is civil and purposeful and effective, and climate change and the environmental uh, deterioration around the planet doesn't give us much time to get this right. And so, one of the one of the things that has been on my mind is that we've we in this environmental movement assume that if we write uh, great articles and great books and hold great conferences and so forth and develop the intellectual capital. For a different and more uh, durable, environmentally durable and fair society, that was all we had to do. And while we were doing that, they were taking over school boards and city councils and state legislatures and governorships and federal court systems and Congress now the president. So uh, the Republican Party now is a uh, verging on being a one party uh, in control. Uh, so we've got political work to do. And this is very much about power and who gets what, when, and how. And we need a two-party system. But we need two effective, honest parties, true to their own principles. They're really flip sides of the same coin. But we become very divided. So our our intention is, starting with the uh, conference we did here in Oberlin on November uh, 15 to 17, on the state of American democracy. And you can go to the website, just uh, www.stateofamericandemocracy.org and you can uh, get a picture of that event. We're working on uh, other events that will occur in Denver, Los Angeles, possibly New York City, possibly Atlanta, and other places. And what we'd like to do is to distill as much as we can of the dialogue into a second phase of the work, which is the communications phase and trying to convert the anger and the angst that exists uh, certainly evident on this uh, show and in the papers and in all the press. Convert the anger and angst into positive, constructive change when the Trump era finally ends, however and whenever it ends. We've Those got a lot sound of like reasons. very
0: important goals. And I just want to remind our listeners we're speaking with Professor David Orr. He's an author of many books. Um, tell us about your most recent title, Is about climate change, right?
4: It's uh, a book called Dangerous Years. It's on climate change, Yale University Press, uh, 2016. Yes. By the
1: if you uh, want to, uh, listeners, if you want to chime in on the discussion, email us, like right now, at mm-hmm. radioplanetwatch at
2: gmail.com.
0: And that's Joe Jordan. I'm Rachel Ann Goodman. Tommy Martin, our intern's here, and he has a question for you, David.
2: Yeah, hi, Professor Orr. Um, I was actually, well, as you just mentioned, two party, a two party system, I wonder what you think of a rise of a third independent party and how more people are joining the independents.
4: Well, uh, third parties don't have a terribly happy history, but the Republican Party uh, at one time was a third party and uh, formed in 1856, if memory holds correctly, and then Abraham Lincoln became their first successful presidential candidate. So third parties, when things get bad enough, third parties uh, can uh, grow. But I think we're, we're in a, a radically different political era. Uh, and we're seeing people run for offices, uh, something like uh, somebody in the press, day described it as a tsunami of change. And uh, everything from never again, to Black Lives Matter, to uh, community organizing at a scale that we haven't seen before. There is something, there, there is a, a seismic change beginning to take place in American politics. And I think that this is partly due to reactions of uh, to President Trump and his administration
0: and also but to the mo- to the fumbling around of Russia in our electoral system I wanted to ask you if if the electoral system is going to be how we take back our democracy, How do we, uh, this goes back to Joe's question, how do we ensure people have confidence that their votes will actually be counted and not feel like, what does it matter because my vote won't count? Anyway, how do we get that back? That seems to be one of the many cornerstones of what's happening right now that could go wrong. There's an upswell of concern and activism on the one hand, but there's also a real worry that when these people all register and go to the polls, it might not turn out anyway as they hoped. And that may not be building confidence. Some people say that's what Russia wants, is to simply undermine our confidence in our democracy. And then they have seeded, you know, distress in our democracy in general. What what do you think can be done about that piece?
4: Well, Rachel, I think that, that's a good point, And it's something we all ought to be worried about. Uh, the price of democracy is eternal vigilance, as Jefferson once said, and we've got to be vigilant. The thing I worry about, in addition to what you've just said so well, is maybe there won't be elections. Uh, the president is is kind of addicted to chaos, and I don't think we ought to assume that, uh, that elections necessarily will happen uh, on schedule. There are polls that show a surprising number of people don't believe in democracy and don't think it's essential to live in a democracy coming from the Global Values Survey. There are poll data that show that a number of uh, people would be inclined to cancel elections in the middle of a national emergency. And so put this together with uh, situations with uh, North Korea and other events, and uh, here's where we really do need People in the Republican Party to step up and show courage and the kind of patriotism that was exhibited once uh, with Watergate and so forth. But we need a second party in this game protecting democracy. It cannot be a minority party, the Democrats, doing it alone.
0: And I wanted and I, to ask I, you about the Democrats, because it all, to me, goes back to campaign finance reform. If they're as beholden to some of these oil interests, you know, behind the scenes as the next Republican is, we need—we don't really have an opposition party, per se. We have a, a more friendly shade of...
1: Tweedledee and Tweedledum.
0: <laughs> I don't yeah. think they're equivalent, but I do think, um, you know, we saw with the last election what happened with bernie sanders and hillary clinton where they they picked a candidate that had heavy heavy funding from donors but not necessarily as popular uh an image and hitting the right notes with the public
4: so i think that's right and if you if you think about uh, democracy is uh kind of a bridge between what people want and the public policies they get that bridge has been broken and the american public if, if you simply take the poll after poll after poll for years now, the public has wanted publicly funded elections to get money out of it. You ever told that's not possible to do? The public wants clean air and clean water and climate, and th- this includes uh, Democrats and public and independents. It- it's the entire country, but you can find majorities of 55 to 75% on almost any progressive issue. And get the question right, and there is much more unity in the country than we're told. But you mentioned Fox News, and I think Fox News and uh, Rush Limbaugh, a number of people, make a very good living by keeping us divided. And yeah. I bet that is hallmark of the Trump administration, to divide and then conquer us.
0: That made it particularly ironic on the State of the Union when we just kept hearing, you know, that he was going to unify everybody in one speech, um, simply by saying so, after intentionally dividing uh, along micro lines every possible group of people uh, from each other, Uh, intentionally. So Uh, Tommy has a question from a listener that he's going to read and maybe you can answer it.
2: Yeah, it's actually a couple of questions from Dan Fernandez, who you both know. Um, It's about a progressive backlash to this presidency gathering. And that kind of connects to what you guys were just talking about, Bernie Sanders and his finance reform. Do you think that that could influence other candidates in 2018 and beyond? Well, I I hope so. Uh, Dan, it's a very good question.
4: I think that the election 2018 is an important election, and Democrats don't typically turn out in midterm elections, but this is a midterm election that I think could be different. And I think a good bit of the public has been alerted. One of the uh, good effects of Trump's uh, administration has been the, he's caused a lot of reconsideration and a lot of people getting back into politics, a lot of people running for offices, and so uh, one hopes so. And when we hope that this doesn't get overrun by some kind of phony national emergency. And uh, the president has ruled by uh, chaos and by division. And I think it would be naive to assume that uh, that will change somehow as we get closer to the, uh, the midterm election. I don't think it will. Damn. And so uh, I, I think that what, one of the encouraging signs has been the amount of interest in preserving and strengthening American democracy. And I make one other point about this. I don't think this is about going back to where we were, let's say in 2015 or 2010. I think we've got to strengthen democratic institutions all across the board. The deferred maintenance I mentioned at the the outset of the uh, program—that is serious and it's deep. And we have to begin to develop a fair country. Income distribution in the country is awful. Uh, We've got to create fairness. We've got to create access. We've got to deal with gerrymandering. We've got to deal with public participation. There are a whole range of things and protect voting rights for everybody, uh, is critical to this. And unfortunately, there are people who have been working rather successfully to, uh, keep people away from polls, gerrymander districts that are, that are safe. But there's a lot of work to do. And I think there is, uh, we're in a bit of a race now between those progressive forces and the, the other side. But we're, we've got to play catch up on this.
2: Dan also mentions a sharpened polarization in the past year or so, and he's wondering, is this polarization real or artificially enhanced, and is it a problem?
4: Uh, polarization between right and left or within the left, or progressive side.
2: I would assume both.
4: Well, I, I think that they're, you know, David Brower once characterized Democrats as the, the kind of people that get the wagons in a circle and shoot inward. <laughs> we, we have we have a bad track record of fighting among ourselves, and the Republican Party, uh, as it is presently constituted, there's no heavy lifting here. If, if you appeal to greed and fear, there, there's no heavy lifting. You don't have to get people to think about what sustainability means or what fairness means. You simply get all you can get while you're getting good. And if you make people afraid enough, they'll accept a lot of uh, a lot of things they otherwise wouldn't want.
0: I would I would yeah. uh, even though they're probably not any Republicans in this room. I'd like to defend the ones who feel like their party's gotten away from them too, because uh, it doesn't recognize, uh, it doesn't resemble anything that it used to be uh, when it was somewhat sane and wasn't just going for the billionaire class. And so, um, a lot of people keep, you know, that on their voting record, but they vote independent when it comes down to the races, you know, individually. So, um, we are seeing, uh, you know, an f- extreme, you know, fraction of the Republican Party, not the whole party, go off and take control through kind of a corporate coup. And I imagine anyone listening still has that R on their voting uh, ballot might be thinking that they don't recognize this party either.
1: Yeah, my parents, my, my okay. parents were Republicans. And, you know, when I went to radical Oberlin College in the 60s, uh, that made for interesting dynamics within the family. But the good thing is that they were both open-minded people. And, uh, you know, I think I was bringing my dad around on the Vietnam War, even though he had worked for the Pentagon for decades.
0: Yeah. <laughs> and I want to go back to the patriotism idea, because, you know, the flag-waving stuff about only we're only patriotic when we're in a war. Um, what about when we're in a cyber war that's being unrecognized and a small group of people's falling into line completely putting on the blinders that we may be being heavily influenced by a foreign power that's really different that's not really patriotism that's uh falling in line behind somebody blindly who's not not really leading but like you said leading in chaos and that's the worrisome thing is how um people who know better are are doing this and i kind of wonder why what is it what is in it for them to fall in line behind someone so chaotic what do they think they're getting?
4: Well, two two comments. One one is going back to the party structure, what's happened within the Republican Party. I grew up in a Republican home also. But that was the Dwight Eisenhower Republican Party, and you still had echoes of Teddy Roosevelt and uh, some awfully good uh, Republican support for environmental issues and so forth. And most of the laws on the books, environmental laws on the books, the heart of American environmentalism, was passed by both Republicans and Democrats under a Republican administration, Richard Nixon.
0: That's right.
4: And the party's gotten away from that. And what's happened, I think, is that the Republican Party was taken over first by uh, Tea Party members and then by libertarians. And I think that if you're an old-line Republican, you simply have no party representing you. And it was once a party that was a party of Abraham Lincoln, and it's become the party of Donald Trump. And that's an interesting history. Based on your question, I don't think we know what's behind the Russian fascination and why people like Devin Nunez and, and others are defending the president and trying to run interference instead of trying to give their dead-level best to get to the bottom of this. What is going on? Why did they do this? Why was there support within the Trump uh, campaign for this? What else is involved in this? I don't think we know. But what we know is that there are appears to be uh, a very serious concerted effort that involves Fox News, Republican Party in, in Congress and some in the Senate apparently and the White House to deflect attention away from the investigation and the cripple the investigation that's all we really know but we don't know why that is is happening you know and I think that that's the question for the Robert Mueller investigation.
0: We hope we find out. We hope he's there long enough for us to know, because uh, we deserve to know. That's our right as a public who is <laughs> supposedly still in a democracy. And uh, Joe, you have a
1: question. Yeah, just I'm dying to throw out something that I consider kind of a really important central image that we all need to plant in our minds and hearts. That. A lot of these problems of, you know, the Russian hacking and the inside job of the American messing around with our elections and disenfranchising voters and all gerrymandering and all these things are sort of operating at the margins. I mean, they're big, they're significant, but still, they could be overwhelmed if we actually got massive numbers of Americans exercising their democratic birthright as registered and effectively registered i.e. able to vote actually able to go to the polls and actually vote on machines that work you know if we have that happen we can just flood them i sort of have the image of the lilliputians in gulliver's travels swarming over the big corporate or whatever giant and overwhelming that's what we need to do is just flood them with numbers with good numbers so that whatever trickery of theirs still prevails we prevail over that So there's an image that... And and so what can people do? What can we all do to even some of us who are maybe free to go to other states, the the so-called battleground states, and work for various organizations to ensure that people get registered, they get ironclad guarantees that when they go to the polls and wait in line for three or four hours in the freezing rain next November, they're going to actually be able to vote. Good question.
0: What do you think?
4: Well, uh, (laughs) Joe, I want to vote for you for... Uh, some public office. I mean, you said it really well. Uh, let's get out and vote. Let's organize. Do everything you can within your local community. Uh, become a precinct captain. Get people out with a Democrat or Republican. Get people out to vote. Make sure the candidates uh, are responsive to public, uh, the public interest and the public uh, uh, long-term public interest, which involves things like climate change and our, our future of our children. The democracy is hanging uh, by a in this country by a thread that may be thinner than we would like. And we've got to strengthen democracy. We've got to decide that this is important to us. One of the most encouraging things after the inauguration a year ago, a million women uh, in the streets uh, and men, uh, th- this is uh, this is what it's come down to. Uh, the movie, the recent movie with uh, on the Post, on the, the publication of the Pentagon Papers, there was integrity that showed the washington post and got those papers out in the new york times and we the free press was able to alert the public that you've been lied to for all these years and it's not fake news it's real news but we have to stand up and say uh, enough is enough and we're going to take our country back a phrase it was used by the tea party members we take it back as a functioning vibrant robust democracy and strengthen those institutions to protect voting rights do so everything you said I, I couldn't agree with more that's that's the agenda, and it takes lots of different forms. People can uh, do any number of things, but to become instead of observer citizen, active citizen.
1: Tommy's got something from out there in cyberspace. It's actually us?
2: from me. I recently oh. saw the post too, and right as I saw that, I went home and I watched Fox News, and I saw Geraldo Rivera talking to Hannity, and he was talking about how he thought that Nixon wished that Hannity had been in his full form during the Nixon era to combat all of the news, and I was just wondering what you thought of that.
4: Well, <laughs> I can't watch Fox News, to be true. First of all, I just can't watch it for long. Uh, it is so funny about the president, and it has been so wrong on most of the major issues. And of course, Fox News started by Roger Ailes uh, coming out of the Nixon administration and so Fox was a creature uh, in, in some bizarre way of, of Richard Nixon or influenced by Richard Nixon and the the whole uh, idea of fair and balance Fox is anything but but it is so large and has such a huge impact and it has a business plan and is very really quite extraordinary they, they make a lot of money yeah they're, they're as large as all the other or two of the other major news media put together. And so um, I think we need a media that is honest. And the war against the media and this fake news thing is not the least of the problems.
0: Absolutely, and, you know, the Sinclair takeover of local TVs should alarm people they are talking about letting them have 70% of the households, and they're even far right of Fox, and they're supposedly having editorials that these local stations have to read that are extremely alt-right and racist and other things about terrorism. So, you know, we have to protect the media. Here in Santa Cruz, we're trying to start a brand-new independent radio station. Um, I'm part of that. There are local efforts to try to seize uh, the microphone for truth, and this show is one little corner of that. We would like to thank this radio station also for letting this be the home of Planet Watch. So we can have people like you, David, or on the line.
1: You know, David, uh, one of the things I'm most fascinated with scientifically, I actually came out here to get a master's degree. uh, Well, it was in computer and information sciences, but what I was up to was the study of the mind and the visual system and, you know, cognition. And I'm fascinated with the whole thing of flipping brains, you could call it. (laughs) We actually interviewed a guy named Jerry Taylor, who you probably know. He used to be one of these... uh, You know, climate deniers par excellence, uh, working for the Heartland Institute that dupes educators all over the country with their slick anti-climate change stuff. And he went good. He just, he saw the light uh, upon, upon exercising some intellectual honesty, which he didn't really have to do as part of his job. But he took it upon himself to really confront serious questions and realized, hey, he was doing the wrong thing. So he came around. So we had this fascinating interview with that whole process of his Uh, change of mind and heart and that's the kind of thing that if we could find the what I call magic communications (laughs) the the trick with media a good trick (laughs) to to get people to flip their minds to to the truth you know that that is another image uh, a vision to aim for yes
0: (laughs) and if you just joined us this is planet watch we're speaking with uh, professor David Orr about uh, saving American democracy and thus the planet and um, one recent news story that stuck out to me was the Bears Ears Monument being rolled back. And now they're saying yeah. uranium and oil drilling can stake claims there, even though it's still being fought in court. And, you know, on the other side of things, when Barack Obama was president, you had the Bundys, you know, preventing federal agents from coming on land that was federal land to protect it. Um, and now they've been exonerated by this administration, you know, like free. Um, now we have the opposite happening, <laughs> where federal government is supposed to protect that land. It's got tons of sacred sites from Native Americans and rock art and archaeological treasures. And now they're just going to open it up to drilling unless the lawsuits protect things. And I guess my question is, are these, you know, judges going to save us from this kind of predation of our natural and cultural resources? Or are they going to protect Native Americans? From this kind of desecration of their sacred sites?
4: Well, the court system has been also under assault. An organization called the Federalist Society, which has been very influential in right wing Republican circles, has uh, been behind the placement of federal judges. So, not the least of the takeover. Again, this is where those of us who deem ourselves progressive or environmentalists are concerned about the long term future or equity and fairness. We need to become political in fundamental ways. We cannot let the courts um, the captive of extreme right-wing people. Whether the court system can stand up to this or not, uh, I don't know. Time will tell. But we we do know that while we were busy uh, doing things as environmentalists and so forth, they, on the other side, were taking control of everything from Uh, school boards, to Congress, to the federal court system. And now we're paying the price for having ignored, I think, uh, to a great extent, not all of us, not any of us all the time, but uh, we're now paying the price for not seeing environmental issues and issues of equity and fairness and justice and so forth as fundamentally political issues.
0: Yes, and we're getting a couple of emails coming in with questions. We'd like to get them in in the last uh, few minutes or so of Planet Watch. David Orr is our guest. He's talking about saving American democracy, uh, not just for the sake of having a democracy, which by itself is important. That's how our country was founded. But also for saving the planet, and that's you know there's a definite connection there between what people want which is the majority of people want clear air and clean air and water uh and a livelihood that doesn't poison them or
1: as some people point out uh, the planet's going to be just fine it's saving civilization <laughs> that we need to do
0: i don't know if the planet's going to be just fine <laughs> oh it's maybe orbiting. in a couple million years Big third right, rock from tell the me sun. what do you got
2: hi again david uh sanaya thank you for the question she asked, how do we get progressive voices heard in the Democratic Party when there are issues like the DNC promoting centrist candidates over progressive ones?
4: Well, I think, uh, good question. And I think the, the issue is show up, be there at meetings. go to. Uh, I mean, democracy is all about being at meetings and spending time and, and working on, on issues. And I think the Democratic Party is now uh, in disarray enough that there's an opening for people coming in and running for office and running for part of the uh, administration of the Democratic Party. There's there's no quick answer. But it it is show up, be there, participate.
2: I would argue uh, that on the Republican side, there are those openings as well.
4: uh, I think that 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 could be true. And the Republican Party is making itself very vulnerable and I think, frankly, very fragile. Uh, What they're doing is... uh, and, and there's enough opposition. I mean, there are Republicans. John McCain's uh, announced it the other day when the Nunes memo came out. I thought it was terrific. Mm-hmm. We uh, need
0: more of those kind of voices. In the in the little there. bit of time left, though, in the very short run, you know, if Mueller's fired, what do you suggest people do? Once you know, is there's a Rubicon's been crossed? What do you suppose is going to happen and should happen at that moment in history?
4: Well, I think you you're down to taking things to court and going into the streets. And the battle, at that point you find out whether the Republican Party has any willingness to fight for openness and justice and the rule of law. And the Republican Party has at that point a a horrendous decision to make. Uh, They've got to stand up, not against Donald Trump, but for the completion of that investigation in a fair and honest and open way. And that will be the most interesting thing. If they fall back on, as they appear to be doing, covering up uh, and stonewalling and obstructing justice uh, or helping Donald Trump to obstruct justice, uh, then it's anybody's guess. I I think one possibility is massive uh, uprising in the streets. Uh, there'll certainly be court challenges, so the democrats will do what they can do. But uh, at that point, uh, we're facing what we thought could only happen in third world countries. That would be, if allowed to go forward, a coup d'etat.
0: It would also destabilize a number of other countries that rely on the United States to be stable. Um, you know, <laughs> we have been but, for a while fairly stable, now we're being rated as a slightly less stable democracy. What about other countries saving us from
1: ourselves? <laughs> yeah, I wonder about that sometimes. You know,
0: sometimes we used to go into these countries and try to help out. <laughs> sometimes we'd be on the right side. Um, are any other maybe Norway international <laughs> bodies like uh, looking at our elections and, and observing them anyway for their accuracy and and trying to uh, weigh in on the situation here?
4: I think the world is looking at the United States uh, with feelings—they're kind of aghast at what they see—and combination of humor. Uh, what's happening in the United States is awful and yet is re- kind of funny. Saturday Night Live every every Saturday night shows part of the humor. Late night TV, thank, thank goodness for our capacity to laugh at these things because uh, there, there is a real need for the healing of uh, good humor here, good political humor. But this is serious stuff, and I think that we're... Uh, we're at a point where democracy not only needs to be repaired, but it needs to be strengthened.
0: And saved, and it sounds good. like, at the very beginning of, of our conversation.
1: And David, we want to keep an ongoing relationship with you and what you're doing. Uh, we're going to promote stateofamericandemocracy.org. Um, we're going to monitor it, see see what develops on this nationwide uh, push that you're starting to mount and uh you know you can <laughs> promote us to your vast network of friends and associates and colleagues and uh we got to get the truth out you know this show is about truth and action and the future of the world and we're sunday afternoon live <laughs> so, and if
0: anybody's listening and not watching the super bowl we will give you extra <laughs> points thank you that's and still it, half an hour away <laughs> <laughs> that's right thank you david for being our guest i really appreciate well, it. it's been a fascinating well,
4: thank time. You. Thank you for uh, giving me a voice, and thank you for what you're doing.
0: Thank you as well. And
1: how's the weather there in Ohio? Briefly, I always have to ask that.
4: It's cold a little bit snowy. Oh,
1: great. (laughs) I love it. I wish I were there.
0: We're in the 70s. (laughs) Thank you so much. We will talk to you again soon, I hope.
1: Thanks, David. All right. Thank you. All right. That was
0: That was david orr our special guest here on planet watch and we want to thank you um, we have just about run on through our time we'll be back again next week and we'll run that story from margarito rodriguez about the wetlands watch
1: but i have little one little sky note for you uh, we've been talking about something that adds up to we need a miracle <laughs> and uh well there is a miracle in the sky going on right now which you can watch it's a star called mira m-i-r-a the wonder And it's in the constellation of Cetus the Whale, which is near the Seven Sisters, or the Pleiades, the little fuzzy patch of stars in Taurus the bull. That star has a, it's a variable star. It's a pulsating star, which for a couple of months out of every year or so, it has a roughly 330-day period of variation in its brightness. You can see it with the naked eye. And then for most of the rest of the year, it disappears. It goes so faint, you can't even see with binoculars. But for just the next month or so, maybe even only three weeks, you can see Mira. Get in touch with me if you want to know how to find Mira the Wonder. And by the way, wonder, miracle, a miracle, <laughs> or mira to see as in Spanish, or mirage. So anyway, there you go. Uh, look for Mira and uh, radioplanetwatch at gmail.com. Get a hold of us and we'll tell you how to find miracle in and the sky. And
0: this has been Planet Watch. We now have a podcast. And you can get it by going to planetwatchradio.com and subscribing. I'm Rachel Ann Goodman with Joe Jordan.
1: Keep an eye on the sky.